Welcome to Val F. B. Stuttgart Americana, an American-based English language Val F. B. Stuttgart fan podcast where our views are unofficial, uninformed, and usually unprepared. And Matt, I think that last word there doesn't only cover this podcast, but might in fact cover the guys and their performance on Saturday. Um, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing better than every single person in a Stuttgart jersey who uh, was on the field last weekend. Which isn't gonna, saying much. I was going to ask, who had the better weekend? You, who were sick all weekend. Me, no. who had a 15-hour car ride in the back of my mother-in-law's van this weekend. Or Valve Stuttgart, whose players not only played like garbage, but were crying at the end of the match. And they had the famous moment. I think it's just something that happens in Berlin. When you throw your jersey into the crowd, the crowd immediately responds by throwing it back to you. <laughs> So of those three, which one of us was the biggest winner, you think? I'm going to give you the trophy on this one, because uh, not only was I uh, down with a nasty head cold all weekend, but I was also finishing moving. So I was Ooh. hauling furniture around while not able to breathe, uh, which was super exciting. So I think I'd trade uh, sitting in the back of my mother-in-law's van for, <laughs> for that. And it definitely, definitely was not the boys in the red stripe this weekend. Yeah, there's... Let's be honest, there were no winners this weekend yeah. <laughs> for, for any of this, any of this stuff. Although I do hope you know that the new intro to our show is the Mario Gomez button, which if you're not initiated, that is the button that we would push when Mario Gomez scored a goal because I figured since we don't score goals anymore, we just need memories of goals being scored. So there's the Mario Gomez button for you in case, uh, I don't know, if you want to remember what it was once like when we used to score goals. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Well, this is episode 47. We're going to cover the big match that took place in Berlin. But first off, Matt, this is your 19th episode on the program. So I want to throw some famous Stuttgart number nine teams at you. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. So starting in reverse order, we've got, for the ones that were 19, you know, while we've been supporters, we've got Timo Werner, okay, who's currently playing mm-hmm. in Chelsea. We've got Kevin Grosskreutz, who played one year for that club. We've got Shadrach Kolo. You remember uh, remember him? Oh, I do. That's a name from the past. Yeah, he played during the uh, in the second division. Didn't quite make it for the first division for us. He's now playing in France. We have Darko Churlinov, who's uh, coming off the bench for Schalke. And Wahid Bahir, who was the big signing we got out of uh, Denmark, but he is playing for the U21s right now. So of those characters who wore the number 19, who is your uh, your favorite one of those? I'm going to have to go with uh, Grosskreutz because he was such a key element in getting us promoted. And the fact that we were able to sign him as a second division team was a big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think both Stuttgart and Grosskreutz were using it as a reclamation project. Um, but he was a, a key element for driving that team back to promotion and giving some experience and just some guts and gusto to that group. And it was really kind of a shame to watch him flame out hardcore after that because he was so much fun to watch what he was playing for us. I remember when the year, I think we got relegated and he tore a thigh muscle during the match and he kept playing through it. Mm -hmm. And then like you said, he stuck with us in the second division. He was a key part of the team. And then he had that, boy, what was it? He had the, he got beat up in the red light district um, and it just, yeah, he got got in trouble for taking a bunch of the the academy players out drinking 
uh, I think it was even a night before a game or something, but yeah, I got in a fight and just not, everybody was talking about what a great influence he was on the younger guys and how valuable he was to teach uh, what it takes to become a big international footballer to the young boys. And then also he's taking them out drinking and getting into street fights. His story is so interesting because he was a huge Dortmund fan and supporter, ended up playing for Dortmund during their heyday when they won two Bundesliga titles. And But his fall from athletic grace was, like you said, so dramatically fast. Yeah. He reminded me of like an NBA player, an NFL player, like in the 80s. Like once they reached 29 or 30, they were done. And it's mm -hmm. like he was done and done quick. His bio was crazy too. Two Bundesliga titles, a Pokal title, a uh, World Cup. He was on the World Cup winning team in Brazil. Um, and probably his most famous title, his second, his Vita Liga title with us. <laughs> so the guy's got trophies everywhere. I, I remember when he got kicked off the team, I really was hoping that they would have let him back for the celebration when the team got promoted. Yeah. And, you know, they, they weren't able to, or he wasn't able to or whatever, but yeah, I like the fact that we've picked a guy who scored one goal for the club and got kicked off for a <laughs> red light district. It's like Timo <laughs> Werner, who is one of the big players on the German national team now. So, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the reasons I didn't want to pick Timo Werner is because he was such a whiny little brat while he was playing in Stuttgart. And it's been fascinating to see him kind of grow up and turn into an, an adult human being and a mature footballer because he just, I feel like he spent as much time on the field pouting as he did being an offensive threat when he was with our club. It is interesting. At some point, we'll have to get into this of how the Stuttgart faithful love certain players, but dislike other players. And Timo Werner seems to be very much of the latter of <laughs> dislike. And I think part of it was his attitude. And then part of it was that he left us to go to uh, Red Bull. Mm, right. And, you know, nobody likes Red Bull. So, yeah, I, I got a theory too on Timo is that because he's a big part of the German national team, which has been really underperforming for a number of yeah. years. I kind of call, I think he's like one of my Clarence Weatherspoon all stars. If you follow the NBA, Clarence Weatherspoon was a really good NBA basketball player for over a decade. But Clarence Weatherspoon always played on losing clubs. He never played on a winning team. And so he would put up these numbers because his team was always getting blown out. And I met you know, Timo Werner plays for Chelsea, who's very obviously good. But I just got this theory that Timo Werner looks really good and puts up really good numbers, but the big teams around him just don't seem to seem to perform kind of a little bit like yeah. <laughs> our, our current club. <laughs> I, I think there's definitely some wheels to that theory. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's start talking about our current club. So let's move into part one. So Valafi traveled to Berlin on Saturday. It was a huge match. For the well, I saw the, saw the lineup and felt pretty okay about the lineup. Um, I, I was feeling real good. I had, uh, you know, I've, I mentioned that we were moving this weekend, but had big plans to sit down with a couple cold ones after a hard day and watch Stuttgart pound snot out of Hertha Berlin and when I saw the lineup and was reading some of the pre-match stuff I was like all right this yeah this is going to work out today's going to be a good day mm -hmm. and then the notifications started blowing up on my phone and I was very wrong yeah I was unable to watch it in real time but I was on my phone and my buddy uh Jeff and Austin who are on the podcast were sending me messages while in it got bad 
really, really quick. I was, I was worried that Anton was in the middle. I'm not a huge fan of that. Um, but I was confident like you, when it was revealed that Omar Marmouche was not going to play, I was like shoulder shrug, you know, he hasn't played great in a while. So no big deal there. I was really confident. I thought things were going to go really well. As it turned out, things went really poorly, really quickly. Uh, when uh, Mislintot said after the game, the first 30 minutes were one of the worst games of the season. Monrazzo said, it's not enough. It's just not enough. How we defended, there are no excuses for that. Erlin could have been up two to zero after four minutes. Kemp had a header oh. that somehow didn't go in in the third minute. And then on the fourth minute, Selke had a great strike from a big cross that is kind of like a Sosa de Sosa one, but it was their move. I don't know if you saw the highlights of those, but I was just dumbstruck, which is saying something, by how poorly the defense played in the first four or five minutes. I, that Kemp header, Dino left Anton to cover both Kemp and Santi Escobar. Luckily, they didn't put it in, but Mueller was cemented to the line on that one. Then one minute later, uh, Ito and Sosa let Selke split them, and Mueller was stuck to the line again. And I was just shocked that Kicker gave Mueller a what did he, a, a rating of three, which means he played above average. And I just, I don't know. Let's break that down a little bit. I don't get it. It was such a slow start. It was such a bad start. The defense played horrific. Um, thoughts on any of that? But you you got to think that some of this comes down to coaching. And I've been a big defender of Matarazzo, but when you're in a game like this, so with that early goal basically was the game because that played right into Berlin's plan. From that point forward, they could play scrappy. They could play tough. They've been tackling really hard since, um, you know, they've had the coaching turnover. The game was over at that point. And quite honestly, Sugar didn't even get into the match until maybe the second half. I just, to your point, I don't understand how you could go into a match of this import and play on your back heels that much. I think Moderats has said, at some point that the team just respected Berlin too much. And I just, I don't get how you can go into that match and be that uh, asleep to start. It, the only thing I can figure is that they have also watched Herta Berlin and also saw that Herta Berlin were a dumpster fire and thought, well, these guys are terrible. Like we're going to walk them. And you can't, not even against Corner first, can you take that attitude? Like, no team in the Bundesliga will just let you walk over them. Mm -hmm. And if we go into games like that, we're going to get spanked and we're going to deserve it. Yeah, it was interesting. It's just the number of players that looked for Mangala looked really bad. Ito looked pretty bad. The whole team looked really bad until the second half. And even the second half, there wasn't a ton of stuff. I mean, Dino had that great run in the 52nd minute. Um, Tiago had a, a shot right at the goalie at the 65th and it was just as toothless as you could be, which is a, unfortunately a theme for this team <laughs> that what hurts me the most is that the player of the game, uh, for kicker was our old buddy, Mark Oliver Kemp. Yeah. yeah and I predicted that the player that was going to be the surprise player for the team back when we did our predictions back in 2021 was going to be Mark Oliver Kemp. <laughs> and I was, as it you just got out, the team wrong. Yeah, I just got the team wrong, and he did. He made a uh, – he almost had a, a goal on the header. That Dino shot, Kemp was the one who saved the shot from going in. Um, this guy has been pretty bad all season long. But 
played against his old club, stepped up his game, uh, got the win and made us look just bad. You got to think that just he had some extra motivation and maybe some of the other guys on <clears throat> Herder Berlin are finally getting sick of being a laughing stock and of getting smoked every weekend and they got their act together and our boys weren't prepared to deal with that. Yeah. It, there's not a whole lot we can talk about the match. The match was just bad, bad, bad. Um, the ratings came out. Like you said, I was surprised Mueller was a three. I, I think this club is stuck to where they can't make drastic changes for the sake of making drastic changes. So I think we're stuck with Mueller for the rest of the season. Dino was the only one who's, he got a 2.5, but Kurich and Sasa were fives. Um, after the match, I don't know if you saw the players went to the away support and it, the away support was angry and somebody threw their kit into the uh, stands. It got thrown back at them. Many of the Stuart players, Kalajic, uh, were crying after the match, which I think is a, just a, a bad, bad sign. And Kicker had this quote, which I'll read to you. I think it's perfect. It said, Stuart not only lost a game in Berlin, but in addition to the connection to direct non-relegation place, they also lost their face, their confidence, and a lot of the unlimited support of the fans. And I think that's, this is the bleakest it's been in a long, long time. People are saying that players don't care. People are saying that the coach is, is, is not getting them prepared, which I don't think is accurate really, but I don't know how else you walk away from that match thinking this team is going to survive. Yeah, it's it's a really tricky thing to kind of wrap your head around. And like you wrote really eloquently last week when we, we had the uh, visual version of the audio podcast <laughs> um, that, you know, this team deserves better. And the coaches have have created opportunities for guys to succeed. The players have been working hard, um, but that deserves doesn't really matter. And I I totally understand the fan base and I'm, I'm a part of this too. I'm getting really frustrated and it, it's getting harder and harder to defend Matarazzo and uh, his crew at the top when the results, the, the results are just crap. And it's hard to say, you know, it's pretty clear that they're doing everything that they can on the back end for the most part. But then you watch a game like this and it makes you wonder everything you've been defending for the last six months because the, the team didn't come to play. And that's been the one consistent for Stuttgart is every game they come out ready to play. They're working hard all game. And when you come and lay an egg like this against a team as horrible as Herder Berlin, and let's not kid ourselves at all. Herder Berlin is a dumpster fire. <laughs> and the fact that we completely self-destructed against Herder Berlin says a lot of really bad things about our club. And it's not like the match against Bielefeld where we walked out with a draw shaking our head because we were clearly the better team. Right. This was a result in which the score probably didn't reflect exactly how much better Hertha was than us. And they're awful. <laughs> I think yeah. that it perfectly. They're a dumpster fire. So what are we, a floating dumpster fire at this point? It's just, it was so disappointing. It was, so I'm not, as Sven Mislintat said after the match, he's like, yeah, the fans have, the supporters have the right to be angry. They should be angry. And for the first time in a while, Monterazzo and Sven were a little bit critical of the effort that we saw out there. So, which is going to lead me to some questions as we head into part two of the podcast. We're getting into the headlines and the questions and all that stuff. Uh, the Süddeutsche Zeitung said, 
you know, so far, those responsible at Valve Guard have been praised for their calm manner, but in an acute danger of relegation, new stimuli are needed. And the article went on to say about how uh, Stuttgart is in a trap of its own creation, that they have been so unstable for so long that they said, we are going to stay the course no matter what. And because they're staying the course no matter what, everybody is praising them for that, that they're calm. And that's a, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But the clubs around them who have been in trouble have made changes. And those clubs have all saw improvement. We've stayed calm and we're getting worse and worse. And so now this gets to the uncomfortable question of we love Monterazzo, but the results are the results. And it's too late to do anything at this point. I, I wrote you privately after the match that uh, I just don't have a ton of faith in Pellegrino at this point. And the team really hasn't been that good since the second half of last season. And our defense has been, has been leaky forever. Uh, and then you go into Berlin with a match like this, where is the faith you know, supposed to come from? At where, what are we supposed to hold our hat on going into these next three matches? Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really hard. And they're, at least with previous games, we could say, you know, oh, we outchanced them. And we just, we had a lot of bad luck. Or, um, you know, the goalie played out of his mind and made some incredible saves or something. But when you have a, a game like this, we're just, not only does nothing go right, but you're not creating any opportunities for things to go right. And, yeah, and I, I don't, I don't like the idea of purge the whole front office or even fire all the coaching staff because we have been that chaos club, and I don't see how we get better without some stability. But you also have to ask: is this, is this good stability or is this bad stability? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, on the whole, I, I think it's good. And I think Matarazzo and the club as a whole has had just colossally, historically bad luck all season long with all of the injuries, with all the COVID illnesses, and then just like in-game bad luck. I've never seen a team um, hit more posts or put balls just wide of the net or just over the goal or you know miss a, a pass by inches that would have unlocked something so consistently. And I, I want that to be bad luck, but I'm starting to wonder if maybe there isn't something bigger going on. Yeah, and I don't think it's a matter of the players don't care. I, I don't think you would see grown men in tears after the match. Um, I think they do care about this because this is part of their legacy. Even though a number of these guys are going to move on, this is a black mark on their career. And they don't want this to end the way that it seems to be trending right now. Uh, let's get into that a little bit. Bill wrote a brief article about the character test, and they went through the players on the roster and their positive attributes and their negative attributes, and they went through everybody. I, let's talk about Wataro Endo for a little bit. He's the oldest player on the pitch. He's 29. He's the captain. Um, one of the criticisms that Bill wrote, it's, it's something I think is pretty obvious. He's He's not a verbal in-your-face captain. He's very much a mirror of Pellegrino Monterazzo, I think, Mm -hmm. to where what we see on the field and what we see on the pitch is very calm and it's very stoic. Is that what's needed now? Or do we need somebody like a, not a Holger Badstuber who's going to scream and and yell and berate people, but uh, somebody who's going to get in the official's uh, ear or somebody who's going to, you know, 
like Baltimore Anton seems to be that a little bit more is getting to people's faces. Is, is Endo the right captain for this club? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair question. And I think how the club responds is going to go a long way to answering that. And I just completely coincidentally last weekend read a really interesting article about former Detroit Red Wings captain and current general manager, Steve Eiserman and his transition over his career uh, and how his, his leadership evolved. And it was about this turning point where he, like Endo, very quiet, lead by example, don't say a whole lot kind of guy. After the Red Wings got completely annihilated, came into the locker room and just blew everybody apart. And from the top down, from himself to the fourth liners, just everybody wasn't good enough. And then he went to the press and told the press he did it, which was really unusual for him. And so I think like we can ask the questions about are the people in place, the right people, all we want. Um, I don't think that matters. What matters is how they respond to the situation they're in. So if Endo can make an adjustment to how he's captaining this squad and get the boys up and going, then yes, he's the right guy. And if he can't, then no, he's not. And the same from Matarazzo and the rest of the coaching staff. If they can make the adjustments, if they can recognize this as a, a low point and a, a horrible horrible place and make a, a turning point, get a vendapunct and get going in the right direction, then yeah, they're right. And if they can't, then everything's on fire and <laughs> we all need to buy a lot more beer. <laughs> yeah, it's tough because with three matches left, you at this point, it would be almost, I think, irresponsible to make wholesale changes because with three matches left with a club this young, what is that going to actually accomplish other than just add more more chaos to it so i think we're and it, stop. if you bring in a new coach to what's what's he going to be able to do in three matches so you'd be it'd be a dis disservice to moderato it's not doing him any favors to to dump him with three games left um it'd be make the club look bad that they did that to a guy that they had been supporting all season and then whoever they brought in um, would be a moron to agree to come in and do this. <laughs> and also it would be unfair to that person because like, what are you going to do in three games with, with this squad? There, let my, let's see what Matarazzo can do. And if he can pull it out, then maybe he extends his lease on life a little bit. And if he doesn't, then Mislin Tot's got a lot of really hard questions to answer in the off season. Yeah. Let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Ben Duncan asked us, um, Quote, how long until we start to looking at Mislintai here? Arsenal went to complete doo-doo. Hey, Ben, watch your language. Under him, you could hardly get into Europe. And when he came to the Valenfi, they got relegated a month later. He helped bring them back up, but then sold some of the players that made that happen and hasn't replaced them with, with quality. I like Ben's question, and I don't think Ben's trying to say that he was part of, Sven was part of the relegation season. That was happening way before Sven signed up. And I think he did try to replace some of them with quality, but when Nico Gonzalez and Gregor Pavel left, those were two big gaping holes like we all knew. But let's stick with the general question here is Mislintai, what responsibility does he bear for what's happening now? Well, he's, he's the guy ultimately pushing the buttons at the top to put people in place. So he's definitely, definitely bears some responsibility, but it, it's a complicated question though because like if we look at nico gonzalez as our our case study here nico wanted out 
he did not want to stay. So like Sven's job then at that point is to maximize value that the club can get out of a player who doesn't want to play there anymore because you can't keep him. He's not going to play for you. So you've got to get as much money as you can. And that sets the precedent that for players who are ready to take a step to a different league or who want to go to a, a bigger club or make more money that Stuttgart will be willing to make that happen. And that makes us more attractive to younger players. So there's a lot of layers to this onion. I don't remember if Koble wanted out or not, but of the two, he's definitely looking like the bigger loss right now with as, as bad as Miller has been all season. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think in, if things go really poorly, the next three matches, I think this is a question we'll definitely spend time on is what did Sven know? And when did he know it? So to speak, He's been saying since August that this was going to be a tough season and that our only goal was to survive. So I think he gets some points for having the clarity to know, listen, don't drink the Kool-Aid that the media is sending out there that this is a top nine club. It's not. Right. So he knew that. On the flip side, if he knew that, then why didn't he do more to bolster the weaknesses of this club? And I'm not going to blame him for the offensive weaknesses. Actually, if, if you walk into the season thinking, okay, I've got Silas, I've got Kalajic, I've got Mo Sanko, uh, that kid. Um, mm-hmm. Those are three really good offensive players. And then all three of them get hurt. Okay, that's that's bad luck. That's not on yeah. side, in my opinion. I do believe the lack of veteran leadership and the goalkeeping is on spec. And so that's, I think if things go south the next three matches, I think those are going to be some big glaring holes that he didn't fill that we all saw pretty early on that were problems for this club. Yeah. And it's something you and I had, had talked about before the season, the decision to bring Dadavi back over Castro. And at the time, I remember saying basically it didn't matter. And I was never a huge Castro fan anyway, mm-hmm. um, though admittedly, uh, he was huge for us last season, and I was wrong about him. So what were we expecting to get out of him? I, I don't know. Uh, I hope Sven had a plan for it. but He's been in COVID protocol or hurt almost the entire season. His name was brought up a couple of weeks ago when Endo and Karazor were, were out as maybe he could replace them in the number six position. And when Monterazzo said that, I think the entire Stuttgart fan base – started laughing out loud because I, I like, listen, Castro hasn't played big minutes for Bielefeld and they're in a worse situation than we are currently. Yeah. I just don't understand why you even kept Dadavi on the club. It's if you're going to get, if you're going to let go of Castro because you want to give time to the young kids. Okay. Fair enough. But where is mm-hmm. Dadavi in this picture? So I, yeah, I don't understand the act or the re-signing of him. It makes no sense to me. The other thing that Ben asked was, uh, quote, I'm also skeptical of Monterato. I love the guy and his attitude, but Billefeld looked like they may pass us and Hertha are pulling away. Both changed managers. We did not. Things aren't urgent until we're getting beat the last 15 minutes. I don't see any hope. Not to go over this all over again, but yeah, I, I'm questioning what Mata can do over the next three matches to change things other than to stay kind of calm, cool, and collected. Be like, listen, we're all in this uh, together. 
I do like though he did dress very well. He dressed like Nicolas Cage this weekend. Man. <laughs> anybody knows me, I'm a huge Nicolas Cage fan because he continues to pump out quality film after quality <laughs> film. Um, and at one point, somebody said, "Hey, Travis, you look like Nicolas Cage." And at one point, that was a compliment. That is no, <laughs> no longer a, a compliment anymore. The only good thing is that Sven and Pellegrino are tied at the hip. I don't see either of those guys splitting unless one of them does the, I've lost the team and I need to leave uh, move. The urgency of, here's what, what Jeff said when we were watching the match. Uh, he said, Pellegrino has top nine talent, but has this one of the worst records in the Bundesliga. That's getting it difficult to match. And as much as, I told um, Ben on the side that I love Jurgen Kramny. When Jurgen was our uh, interim coach, when I believe Zorniger was it, was let go back in 2016. Mm -hmm. Jurgen's story was great. He was a B2 player, then he worked his way up through the Stuttgart Academy system. And initially there was a little bit of success. Uh, and I rooted for the guy and I really wanted the guy to have success because he just was a really good dude. Well, that didn't work out either. So I don't know exactly how to answer your question, Ben, other to say, yeah, I think we're all skeptical, skeptical at this point of what Mon is doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it, the, it sucks. And it's every Ben's right to ask these questions. And these are questions we should all be asking. They're questions that Sven should be asking and that the sugar board should be asking. But I, I think about things like like what Jeff was saying about having top nine talent. Like, yeah, he's he's not wrong, but how often has that talent been available? Right. So it's one thing to have a guy on the roster. It's another thing to be able to put him on the field. So yes, we have Silas on our team, but he's played what like two matches total. So can you even count that? I don't know. Yeah. And when when you look at that. I don't feel like we do have top nine talent. And I think probably Sven knew going into the season that we had a lot of promise and a lot of potential, but we didn't have a lot of proven you know, Bundesliga players and that that could be a rough ride. And it has been a rough ride. Yeah. I, I think in, in Monrath's defense is absolutely that. Is There was a period there the first half of the season where we were playing guys from the, the U21 team because we had to yeah. guys out. So the team has never been fully healthy. The team has never been fully cohesive. And I think on the flip side, that's what makes Saturday's results so disappointing because outside of Karazor, that team was pretty much the team that we were hoping for. I know Silas wasn't there, but outside yeah. of those two guys, uh, we were pretty sad. And to have the result that we had makes it you know all, all the more disappointing. But let's try and move out of this darkness a little bit. Robin... You know, send in a question. Say, hey, a question that tries to find some light in the darkness. Are there any kids, French squad members that we can see filling the voids after the inevitable end of the season by ourselves, Kalijic and Sosa, all those guys? Well, first off, Robin, your question doesn't add any light to the darkness. I think it makes, think it, makes it even worse. Um, but yeah, it, it looks like they just signed uh, Nicholas Nardi to an extension to. 2025. Um, Silas is back in training. Mosanko is back in training. 
Uh, Nardi is back in training individually. I don't know if any of them will be ready uh, for the next three matches, but you know they're back in training. This kind of ties into a Reddit question that was posted is which loss will hurt the most, Sosa, Flygic, or Mangala? Which one of those guys do you think is going to be the most difficult to replace? And then I'll tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> well, I, I think I'm going to be wrong about Mangala then. Because <laughs> I, I think Sosa and Sosa are kind of a package deal, and one without the other doesn't work as well as they both do together. So if you lose either one of those guys, the other one immediately becomes a little bit less effective. And the team showed, not this week, but previously, that without those two guys in the lineup, with uh, Furich and Tomash and Marmouche um, that we can generate offense. So as amazing as Sosa and Sasa both are, and as much fun as I have watching them in Stuttgart uniforms, um, I feel like we've already got replacements for the, the things that they do. Yeah, there was a report that uh, Stuttgart is already looking. There's a rumor that Sosa might be going to Barcelona for about 20 to 25 million. In. Uh, the club has already looked at a Turkish international who's 20 years old to come over to replace him. In the defense, in the goalkeeping. <laughs> Outside of those <laughs> three spots, we're set for next year. <laughs> but, totally good. Yeah, let's wrap it up with, we did a couple polls on the old Twitter machine. We asked, uh, where would Valpi finish? And 71% of the people that took our poll said 16th place. So there's confidence, despite how bad things are, that we will stay in that playoff spot. And then we asked, if you could just take it right now, would you? And 60% said, yeah, we would just run with uh, 16th place, which would mean in the second division, which is completely nuts, we would end up playing Darmstadt in the relegation playoff. So there you go. What do you, what do you think of that? I don't want to play anybody in the relegation playoff. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I still remember the last time when we faced a little team called Union Berlin, who still happens to be in the Bundesliga because they kicked our butts. I'm still questioning whether Nico Gonzalez was really offside on that away goal that Dennis Ayago scored. I think that's a fair question to ask. <laughs> because he was only offside by 30 feet. <laughs> I, I mean, what's 30 feet between friends? <laughs> on a free kick. <laughs> you know mistakes were made travis it's it's an honest uh error it happens all right you're right i i, I really think i i don't want to see anybody in the relegation playoff but if we end up there we end up there and hopefully we'll do better against the third place division two team than we did against the 15th place division one team <laughs> But really, I still think our best hope for this season is that Herta loses out and that we collect, what are we, four points behind them? We collect five points somehow in these next three games and escape by the skin of our teeth. You sound exactly like Jeff's analysis when I was talking to him off the air about what he was hoping for. I'll tell you why you're wrong when we move on to part three, predictions. <laughs> all right, so predictions. Last week, Matt, you, I, and Austin all went four and five. Jeff went one and eight. I have 140 wins to 124 losses. You've got 132 wins to 132 losses. Austin's Boom. got 129 wins, so you are just edging your way apart. Uh, you're I just want to point out, if I was a Major League Baseball batter, I'd be headed for the Hall of Fame right now. You're heading for the Podcast Hall of Fame, my friend. Can't wait. It's only you, me, Austin, and Jeff, though. So, 
It's not uh, too difficult. Uh, in the Balafay picks, Jeff's got the most wins with 17. I've got the most with 16 correct predictions. Austin, you were 13. Matt, I played tip kick last night with my son. Balafay versus Wolfsburg. Now, tip kick is nine for 33 in correct predictions. You want to know how we did? I'm, I'm dying. I got many pins and needles here. So would you rather that I won with Stuttgart or lost based on those numbers? Oh, God, that's uh, let, let's go with history. And I'm going to rather you lost. I lost zero to one on a controversial. It wasn't. I just whined about it. Goal. Wolfsburg <laughs> ended up winning tip kick one to zero. Maybe that bodes well for us because tip kick's been pretty bad at the old predicting. Oh. <laughs> let's hope tip, tip kick got its crystal ball fixed and uh or didn't get its crystal ball fixed and we're we're in for a one no win that would be fantastic yeah all right let's talk about that that match coming up so we're home versus wolfsburg uh we are 24 7 and 20 all time with a two goal differential what i would give for two goals we are two and two in our last four versus them we won on the road earlier this season when dino and forcer had a goal and omar missed that uh funny penalty kick he tried to take uh, we are one, two, and two in our last five. Wolfsburg has two wins and three losses in their last five. Here's where it gets interesting. We only have four goals in our last five games, and three of them came in that Augsburg match. We've been shut out in the last three. Wolfsburg has 10 goals in their last five matches. But here's what's weird. At home, they've won something like four to one and five to zero. On the road, they haven't scored hardly anything, and they've lost their last two matches on the road. They're playing at Mercedes-Benz Arena on the road. It's going to be a pretty packed house. What are your thoughts going into that match? The same that they were last weekend. It's a must win. <laughs> it's we, Wolfsburg has been doing a little better lately. Where they, yeah, they won their last game. But yeah, like you said, it's it's been at home. I'm hoping that they've got some home cooking magic that they can't replicate down in Stuttgart and they self-destruct because we need one. <laughs> we do. I, I am oddly optimistic here for two reasons. One, we are, I, I really think that the home support and the curve are going to carry this team. I, I just, I firmly believe that. I've done a 180 on what I think of the fan support had putting pressure on the team. I think this team needs that home support. So I think the curve is going to do a lot to help with a positive result. Karazor is coming back. Endo is coming back. Ito will have another week back from injuring his, his uh, he had a broken nose. Omar is going to be back. So I think we're going to be as full staffed as we can be. The boys are going to be pretty dedicated based on what happened last week going into this match. And the last reason I'm pretty positive is I, I do firmly believe, and this is where I'll get back to what you said earlier, and I disagree with you. I think if we lose this match, and Bielefeld wins against Hertha in their match, I think we're done. I know we've got two more matches, but we play Munich and then we play Cologne. And Munich is Munich and Cologne is having one of their best seasons ever. Yeah. And then on the flip side, Bielefeld has Bochum after they play Berlin. Then they play Leipzig. Okay, so Leipzig will be a tough one and that's one that Leipzig should win. But it's at home. And again, Bill Feld is playing Bochum. And this is where Jeff agrees with you and disagrees with me is that he thinks that 
Hertha needs to lose out, go over nine the next three matches. My fear is that means they lose to Bielefeld, which means Bielefeld will leapfrog us by one point. And if we don't get a result, even a draw versus Wolfsburg, I don't know how we stay in front of Bielefeld despite our superior goal difference. So I think this match is so important that I'm going into it with maybe false optimism, but optimism because I think if we don't get a win here, I don't see how we dig ourselves out of that hole, especially considering that I think Bielefeld has an easier schedule the rest of the way. Oh, yeah. I, and I admittedly had not looked at Bielefeld's schedule, but that's terrifying. I feel like we need, we absolutely need to win against Wolfsburg this weekend, and we need Hertha and Bielefeld to draw because that's the only way that that ends well for us. Um, but yeah, you're, you're totally right. If we don't win this weekend, we're going down. And I'm curious if that amount of pressure will help carry the guys to a positive result or if that amount of pressure will weigh on them. Uh, I guess we'll, we won't know until till Saturday. Yeah. We've, we've got to hope that it helps focus them and gets their complete attention on what's going on and uh, gets them fired up coming out of the tunnel. Because the op the other option is that it becomes crippling anxiety and they can't function. Right. I, I, it'll be interesting because the games are going on at the exact same time. So I'll be watching the Stuttgart match uh, Saturday. We're finally home from Florida. I don't have a track meet on Saturday. So I'll be able to watch it. But I'll be scoreboard watching the uh, Hertha match as well. Even if we just get a draw, even if we can just get a draw and we're even Steven with them, at least that gives us some hope going into the Cologne match at the end of the season, which is at home. Yeah. At least we have some hope. That will be a terrifying last day. Totally. We will need that result, especially depending on what Bielefeld does um, at Bochum. The worst case scenario is we lose Bielefeld uh, wins, and then Bielefeld wins at Bochum. We lose to Bayern, and match day 34. We're done. It, which... I just, we got to go into match day 34 with at least a semblance of hope um, for that. So hopefully the boys can do some positive stuff on Saturday. Uh, speaking of Saturday, Matt, uh, what do you think the website predictors have given for this one? Wolfsburg traveling to Stuttgart. So Wolfsburg's been bad on the road, but Stuttgart's been bad everywhere. <laughs> um, I'm going to say it's a pick them. I was surprised that they're it's Stuttgart minus half a goal. So Stuttgart is the oh. favorite going into this one. So I'm going to, I'll lead off here. I'm, I'm taking Stuttgart in this one. Um, I know usually I take Stuttgart on the podcast and I'll text you on the side and then I'll be like, damn, yeah, <laughs> so, I, I was thinking about how our predictions actually don't mean anything to anybody since we change them all the time, but I'm going to stick with it. One is because I may only have a couple more matches to root my club in the Bundesliga. But yeah. I do think I'm going in optimistically. I think the home support, like I said, is going to be huge. I think Wolfsburg hasn't played great on the road. And if the guys aren't focused on going into this match, then it just won't matter the, the rest of these matches. Yeah, I'm going to, I got to take Stuttgart to not only is it critical, but I also think Wolfsburg's a team we can beat. I think they're vulnerable and they're vulnerable to some of the stuff that we do and that we do well. And if Muller can, be a little bit better than he normally is. And if our defense can hold, uh, I, I think we've got a chance. And I think really the key is going to be Karazor coming back because since we went back to a back four, having Karazor 
his contributions this season have been undeniable. And we saw as soon as he was gone, the defense fell apart. It's crazy. And then when they, you know, going back to the game, when they moved to a back three because Stenzel was hurt, he's gone for the year now. And oh, was good. Hurt. Yeah. And they went to a back three, they, they started to play better. I, it, I, so I don't, this team is frustrating to me. I can't understand because we started off playing with a back three and then we had kind of had five in the middle. And then we went to this back four, which was going fine. And then Karazor, who's the, went out. And then also, yeah. like, oh my God, we need Karazor back. And you're like, why? But I 100% agree with you. If, if Karazor turns out to be the difference maker in this match and we end up getting a result, I mean, I'll say it right now. I, I will spend $110 to go to the Stuttgart store and get my Karazor <laughs> kit that will show up in six months in time for next right. season. But I'll, I'll, just, I'll do that. Just in time for the news that he got sold to Untracked uh, Frankfurt. <laughs> That's, uh, it's funny, but it's true. It's true. <laughs> we right, we laugh so we don't cry. All right, man, let's wrap this up with the big news that happened. So I just want you to talk about one of these stories. So first off, Freiburg made the Pokal final. So there's one headline for you. Bayern won its 10th title in a row. So there's another story for you. And Anthony Modest got in trouble because he handed out free coffee after he scored a goal for Cologne. Nobody cares about Bayern winning. Bayern always wins. Yep. Screw Bayern. Um, Freiburg's a stupid club with a stupid logo and stupid colors. Boo. So, <laughs> boo. How got in trouble for handing out free coffee? Like, this isn't the NCAA where somebody's buying a quote unquote amateur athlete a steak dinner. At, like, who cares if a professional buys coffee for people? Like, why is that a. I don't know, but the DFB was investigating it. So after he scored a goal, he had left a bag of coffee by the goal, which is a bold move, by the way. And yeah. he pretended to drink from it. And then he threw some into the crowd. And now he's being investigated and might be fined for that. So there you go. Are, are they saying that this was a like an advertisement thing? Like this is Anthony Modesto brand coffee and he's trying to boost sales of this personal coffee brand i think so but i'm on dfb side on this i want an immediate 60 point deduction from cologne send them to eighth place or 18th place get them out of the league there's no room for this kind of stuff <clears throat> well if that's on the table then yes 100 percent. throw not only the book at them but throw a backup book and a cd-rom <laughs> and a newspaper and some other outdated media uh, throw it all at them sink them to the bottom put them in the second division they deserve it for trying to pump some cartels, evil uh, coffee drink into the German public. Uh, there's no room for that in, in modern society. No, no. Have you no pride, sir? In other news, if you come to our watch party next weekend, we'll be throwing cans of Rustoleum into the crowd. <laughs> After consuming uh, lots of red stripe beer. <laughs> I did. I was in Florida and I decided I'm going to get lots of red stripe because that will help. Well, <laughs> Did it, did it help? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking about notice, this club is on notice. This podcast is on notice. Uh, Matt, our friendship is on notice. Just letting you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> usually people say the opposite. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Hopefully next week we can uh, talk about some goals scored for Stuttgart, get ourselves out of uh, 16th place, up into 15th place, or at least closer. And maybe um, things will be a little bit more positive and there'll be less grown men crying next episode let's keep our fingers crossed get your lucky socks and underwear clean uh, if anybody has any good luck rituals send them to us on twitter let's do all the things we can to make sure that 
hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we pull three points this weekend. Lord knows we need it. All right, Matt, thanks for joining us today and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Travis. Thank <laughs> you.